Regardless of how you got here, we're ecstatic that you're joining us here this evening. Tonight, I have a monster of a show lined up for you. A nice array of terrifying topics. So what do you say we break the seal? But first, real quick if I may. I've been checking the show's numbers and our audience has grown a lot in the past few weeks. So I just wanted to take a brief moment to welcome those newcomers. As I said in the intro... My name is Derek Hayes. I am the producer, editor, and host of this humble little program. A program where we share true, first-hand, supernatural accounts. Stories, like this one, out of North Carolina. Hey, Derek. Uh, remain anonymous. I uh, live in North Carolina and uh, grew up on the coast of North Carolina and actually near a uh, Marine Corps air station. So certainly not um, unfamiliar with those kinds of aircraft. And um, they use the the coast and some islands off of it to do bombing practice and uh, other trainings. So I've seen the military aircraft in the area quite a bit. And I'm pretty familiar with what those look like during the day and during the night. So kind of with that regular military activity, very rare that I see something out of the ordinary in the sky, but um, there was one time that was certainly, I mean, I have no explanation for it to this day. And it was happened in the summer of 2008. It was between 2 or 2.30 a.m. I was on the way back with my mom from um, our family's uh, house up north, and we were uh, taking the long road trip down the coast and returning to our hometown, which is, you know, in eastern North Carolina. And as we were coming down our street that we live on, we were approaching a stop sign. And as we were approaching the stop sign, I was already kind of um, looking up because my mom has a sunroof um, and it has a large windshield as well. And I was kind of looking at the stars. It was a very clear night, calm, you know, no clouds, nothing. So I was just stargazing. And uh, as I was kind of looking around, I, I fixated on one star I, I don't really know why but i was looking around and as soon as i kind of looked at this star it immediately almost instantaneously it was like it still same color you know blue white but it, it almost like it descended like uh so that one caller had had said it's almost like it descended and, and was then maybe 20 or 30 feet off the ground um and it also seemed to be about 20 or 30 feet across 
um, in diameter. It was a ball or, or sphere-shaped UFO. We uh, kind of just both stopped. My mom slammed on the brakes, and we kind of sat there for a second looking at it, not really knowing what to do. wish at the time I'd take myself in and got a picture, but you know, we were kind of just awestruck. And uh, we sat there and watched it hover for what seemed like maybe five to ten seconds, still not knowing what to do. There was absolutely no sound. And we just kind of sat there, and as it was hovering, it began to, in a real mechanical, almost instantaneous fashion, went from the spot it was at to it, it rose in uh, like a triangular angle from where it was to, you know, up a little bit to, I guess you could say, like the apex of the triangle, and then down to the right, and then up to the left and then down to the right again. And as it came down that final time, it instantaneously shot up into the right and disappeared into the sky. That's pretty much the whole encounter. We kind of were sitting there in silence for a second, didn't really know what to do. And then my mom asked if she could sleep with the dog tonight because she was uh, she was pretty scared. And uh, we still kind of talk about it to this day. I still have no idea what it was or and haven't seen anything similar, but when you went through those two calls on the June 25th podcast, I just felt like uh, I should definitely call back and say, you know, I've seen something very similar and kind of didn't know if anyone else uh, on the East Coast had, had seen something as well. So well, I appreciate the podcast. Uh, big fan of it. And I uh, hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks. Thank you, caller. The Tar Heel State. I have a lot of friends that live out that way. Seems like people from Ohio tend to flock to that area of the country for one reason or another. If not on vacation, then as their primary residence. And for good reason, I suppose. It's certainly beautiful country. You have the mountains, you have the coast. And of course, those mild winters. Now something tells me the folks in North Carolina won't agree that they're mild but compared to Ohio, it may as well be Jamaica. Now, as far as UFOs in the state are concerned, we did a little digging, and as it turns out, North Carolina has its fair share of strange nighttime anomalies. Oddly, a majority of those being contemporary sightings, experiences recorded in the past 10, 20, or 30 years, including that of our callers. Now, sightings inland, sightings on the coast, it seems the entire state has seen some sort of activity. And with, like our caller mentioned, all the military presence in the area, perhaps this report shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. North Carolina is littered with military installments, including Fort Bragg, which is one of the largest of its kind on the planet. So with that sort of activity in the vicinity... I suppose one would expect to see an oddity from time to time. But does that mean that all of these mysteries are explained away as military activity? Well, in my opinion, that's far from the truth. Even when we get photographs of this stuff, it's downright impossible to identify. During his spare time, Brett Jones enjoys snapping pictures of birds, but recently he was rolling on something a little out of the ordinary. I just saw this flash in the corner of my vision, and um, I look over and there's a, 
there's a plane and then uh, I saw the flash again and it was kind of near it. I just, I just started, um, you know, trying to capture it. Jones says he thinks he's seen unidentified flying objects before, but has never been able to get them on camera. Last Friday, just outside his home in Pleasant Garden, he didn't think he captured much, but when he went inside to look at the footage... I told my wife, I said, I, I just saw a UFO, and she was like, oh, yeah, again? And so <laughs> I'm like, yeah, and, I, and I'm looking through it, and I saw a little flash. I was looking at the video, so I scroll to it, and I zoom in, and it just was like, I have no idea what that is. Some people argue it's just a balloon, but Joan says the flashing silver and gold lights make him think otherwise. It, to me, I, I can't imagine a balloon doing that in a fraction of a second. It's like a tenth of a second that it, each end individually did that and also flashed individually and together. Now that clip from Spectrum One News out of Greensboro, North Carolina, the same location that the craft was photographed in. And for those that won't go to the show notes at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com, the series of photographs either show something phasing into existence or the lens trying to focus on a foreign object. But after a bit of blurry imagery, we finally see a silver-colored, cigar-shaped object flying through the air. Beyond that, it's too difficult to determine much more from the images. And these two aren't the only sightings in North Carolina. I've linked to several other videos showing strange objects over the Old North State. So check those out over in the show notes if you're interested. And thank you again, caller, for ringing in. Now, if you have a story that you think is ideal for this program, a true story, give our hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Toll free, open 24-7-365. At least, here in the States, anyway. Now, if you don't mind, let's venture our way to the wilds of Idaho. Jewel, welcome to the program. Hello, Derek. This is Jewel from Idaho. When I was about 16 years old, my parents left the country, and so and I was still in school, so I had to go stay at one of my family members' house. Well, that particular family member's household contained several family members, particularly the ones that I would hang out with were my two cousins. They were both older than me. Uh, one was 19, one was about 23. The 23-year-old had two kids, one six years old and one four years old. Well, I'm still in school, and I would walk home from school every day, go to their house afterwards. I would, I would stay the night there, eat dinner with them, and then go back to school the next morning until my family came back into the state. Well, these two family members, these two cousins were very odd, very different. I mean, I didn't particularly like hanging out with them the older one would he would put together birds from their dead corpses so he would collect them and he would put them back together with super glue and he would make these distorted creepy little creatures so it, it, it was gross man it was it was very gross and I wasn't into that type of stuff at all they were both introverts I'm an extrovert I like people they do not anyways so bear in mind, I did not like staying with these guys at all. 
Cut to uh, my third night staying with them. This house is extremely cluttered. Boxes everywhere in the basement. It's a pretty big house, 3,000 plus square feet. Well, I would stay on the couch in the basement living room. Well, one night, I woke up in the middle of the night. I, I just felt like something was staring at me. Well, I had fallen asleep that night after eating a bowl of cereal, dry cereal. I had the box next to me on the coffee table next to the couch. And I woke up, this box of kicks, I specifically remember it being a box of kicks, those little dry balls of cereal, because that's what you want to call them. This box was teetering back and forth, back and forth. I mean, it, it would lean to one side as if it was going to fall over, and then it would come back the other way as if it was going to fall over. It did this for 30 minutes. And I could not help but just stare at it. It almost mesmerized me. It, it, it was crazy. Well, I finally fell asleep. I was freaked out. I just let it go. I let the box do what it was doing. And once it stopped, I was able to fall back asleep. The next morning, I told my oldest cousin, the, the one that was in his 20s, about what had just happened. Well, he proceeds to tell me that he had found a Ouija board. And him and his younger brother were doing seances uh, a couple nights before I had came to stay there. And they were doing it on that coffee table. And I was like, what the heck, man? You guys are doing Ouija boards and stuff? Like, what? What are you guys into? And he just said that they thought it was cool and that they would do these seances and they'd get answers or they wouldn't get answers. Well, the following night, I go to sleep again on that couch. Nothing creepy happened throughout the whole night at all whatsoever. I woke up about 4 a.m. and his daughter is standing in the hallway. Uh, it's hard to explain, but she was in the hallway that entered into that big family room. It was the only entrance in or out of that family room and she was standing in it. I wake up, I see her and I'm like, oh, I got to go to the restroom. And so I'm like, what are you doing awake? This little girl's like six years old. And she doesn't say anything to me other than, it doesn't like you. She just says, it doesn't like you. I was just like, uh, I just kind of ignored it and shuffled her back to her bedroom and got her to go to sleep. I, I went to the restroom, go back to sleep, wake up again about 6 a.m. And I'm starting to get ready, groggy, um, going to the bathroom. I was going to brush my teeth and just get ready for my day at school. Well, in this living room, in the basement, this family room, it's just ginormous, it's just massive, and it's completely cluttered with stuff. I'm talking picnic tables with just boxes on them, uh, picnic tables that lined the center of this family room that had just piles of paperwork on it. I don't know what it was, taxes, documents, what have you. Well, I had set my backpack on the end of that table that had the documents on it. When I got done in the bathroom, I went over to grab my backpack to put it on my shoulder, I couldn't pick my backpack up off the table. It was like it was stuck on the table. When I pulled it, and, and I mean, I pulled it with some force, I finally got it up. I pulled it with so much force, it took me a couple steps backward. And from the opposite end of this family room, there was this big gust of air and a deep growl. And it just let out my name, Jewel. And it, and it was deep and it was growly and that 
cold burst of air that came at me just pushed all of the papers off of the picnic table. Like they just flew into the room and my hair stood up on end. My, I, I was freaked out. I went white and I turned around and I go to just run out of there. His six-year-old daughter was in that doorway yet again. And all she said was, it doesn't like you. And I just very rudely booked it past her, pushed her out of my way, ran up the stairs. And I know that majority of everybody in this world has felt this. When you run up the stairs, you feel like something's chasing you. Well, when I got to the top of the stairs as fast as I could, I'm talking bear crawl up it. I turn around and she is sitting at the bottom of the stairs again. And there's this dark figure. And, and I have all the lights on at this point. All the lights are on in the basement, as far as I know, from at least the living room into the hallway, into the bathroom. So there was four or five lights on in there. And so it was pretty lit up. And there was this dark figure around the stairwell at the bottom behind her. Like I couldn't see the full body of it, but I could see like half of a torso, a shoulder, a hand. The hand was like wrapped around the stairwell at the bottom with its hand on the wall. And it was clearly staring at me, but it had no facial definitions. It was just this black mass. And she is just standing next to it and she just said again, it doesn't like you. Well, needless to say, I made some phone calls out of the country and I said, I am staying somewhere else. I will never stay there again. I haven't talked to those family members ever again. I don't want anything to do with their creepy bird corpse building bird things ever again, man. They're just weird. They were doing weird things. I feel bad for those kids. I don't know. They're probably fine. But it was the creepiest thing I've ever encountered. It was the realest unreal scenario I've ever had to date and I still remember it to this day like it happened yesterday. I know it sounds crazy Derek but thank you I appreciate you taking my call you're doing great I listen to you all day every day I work 12-hour shifts in a semi-truck subscribe to your patreon and uh, I hope you guys do great things I'm looking forward to what you guys are coming out with next and uh, yeah thanks man. Oh Joel you would not do very well here at my place. I have a collection of oddities that unsettles most and sickens a few. Although I don't recall ever gluing any dead birds together. Not yet, anyway. But there's a lot to unpack in this story. Growls, disembodied voices, bursts of air, creepy children, lurking entities. Whatever it was that was going on there, we're sure glad that you shared it here with us, Jewel. So thank you again for sharing the story. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you stop and think about it, how much time do you spend on yourself versus other people in a given week? Sometimes we get caught up in other people's needs, and we don't save time for ourselves. Now, I'm guilty of getting caught up in work or projects and leaving little time for myself sometimes. And as a result, burnout sets in. But I found that therapy is a great way to ensure that I make time for myself, to express and reflect on my thoughts and emotions. Because let's face it, if we don't care for our mental health, we can't properly care for the people around us. 
So remember to prioritize yourself first. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and affordable. And if for some reason you aren't vibing with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com forward slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsor supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to those sounds in the attic. <laughs> Now, folks, tonight's next entry takes us to the state of Tennessee. Trey, welcome to tonight's transmission. Hey, this is Trey from uh, Tennessee. I just started listening to your show recently, doing a really good job. Uh, I wanted to share the story that happened to me when I was about 11, 12 years old. I haven't really been able to tell anyone other than, like, you know, close family and no one really else, so this is a good time. So... In Tennessee, I was at my grandparents' house, and they live really close to a state park, like, just by it. And they have a lot of woods behind their house, you know, just straight woods, you know, kids' dream. So I'd spend a lot of time in the woods and stuff like that. One day, me and my family were getting ready to leave our grandparents' house, and their backyard is, you know, cut down, trimmed down, kept grass, and then, you know, just woods. So I am the first one out to the car. I'm bringing whatever I had at the time out to the car to load it up so we can get going. It's about a 40-minute ride. And I look out to the field, and I see two white figures, completely white, like if they were wearing white coveralls. And, you know, this is private property, and I'm just a dumb kid. So I don't think to take a picture, do anything like that with the iPhone that I definitely might have had. And... I call out to them and they turn back at me. And this is the unique thing is that they had their faces were just blank. So there's a smaller one and a taller one. And they were walking, you know, to the woods. And it was about, you know, noon. So I could see these things very clearly. And they were walking out to the forest. I call out to them. They turn back, don't have faces. And then they start bolting towards the woods. And I've never been able to put this in any kind of box. I ran back in the house after I saw they had no face, and my parents didn't believe me. No one believed me, so we just, you know, left. And I've went in those woods, and I've looked in the woods, and I haven't found anything since. So uh, just wondering if anyone else has any experience like this. And yeah, take care. Thanks, Trey. So from time to time, I can't help myself but to offer mundane explanations for some of these extraordinary claims. Like Trey's, for example. Two all-white entities walking through a forest with blank faces. Just ask yourself this question. Who would be wearing this sort of thing in a forest, on or near a state park? My first guess here was that a father and son wandered into the state park in search of a spot to practice fencing. You know, the fancy sword fighting with needle-like swords. I had a buddy that fenced in college, so I've seen it up close. And they wear all sorts of protective equipment, including and especially their face area. So perhaps dressed in their full fencing garb, face cover and all, the two would-be duelists found themselves on private property and ran 
when confronted. But then I got to thinking, how likely is a situation like that anyway? What are the chances that one fencer is wandering the property, let alone two? Then it dawned on me. There's another group that spends more time outdoors and better fits the description. You see, Apris dress similarly, and they too often have complete face coverage. Now those are beekeepers for those that aren't hip to the nomenclature. So perhaps someone was on state land looking for a colony to hijack. Maybe they were called in to relocate a swarm. Either way, this would explain the faceless figures. And if they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, that may also explain why they decided to turn and run when startled. Now granted, I was not there, so perhaps Trey could see details that eliminates both of these suggestions. But maybe I'm onto something. Maybe this encounter wasn't as strange as it first appeared to be. Then again, it's called Monsters Among Us for a reason. So thanks again, Trey, for calling that in. Now, if you don't mind, a quick announcement. Finally, I am able to announce this. And sorry, it's not the film announcement just yet. I'm hoping like hell to have something to tell you guys about that in the next couple of weeks. So please be patient. It's in the suit's hands now. Now, I'm actually excited to announce brand new merchandise in the Monsters Among Us shop. A shiny new Mothman design created by the amazing artist Easton Hawk at Easton Hawk Illustration on Instagram has recently been unleashed. We have t-shirts in two colors, black and purple. Tote bags, trucker hats, also in two colors, solid black and black and gray. We also have Mirrored Men vinyl decals restocked in white and black. And a new text-only Monsters Among Us podcast vinyl decal in those same colors. In addition, all t-shirt sizes in all of our existing designs have also been restocked. And don't forget, we also have koozies, sticker packs, posters, backpacks, pins, and much, much more. Check out everything we have to offer and support the show at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And for a limited time, Sarah's going to toss in one of our brand new Mothman stickers with each order until we run out. So again, that's monstersamonguspodcast.com and just tap that shop tab. Now this next call is one that might keep a few out of the woods going forward. Let's hear from Steve from down in Alabama. Hey Derek, this is Steve from uh, South Alabama. Here's a story I have and I'm not sure exactly what to think of it. Uh, a couple nights ago, I got up, used the bathroom, probably 12, 30, 1 o'clock at night, and I heard a angry kind of scream. All right, now, we have no neighbors for probably half a mile or so. It was kind of low-sounding. Well, I got up a couple mornings later, and I heard the same thing probably 4 in the morning and getting ready for work. And my daughter was asleep on the couch, and I'm getting my shoes on all, and she wakes up. And that's what she's doing, sleeping in the living room, and said she heard the same thing, and she swears it's a skinwalker. Now, my issue is, can skinwalkers travel that far? Why would a skinwalker be there? What would cause this to happen? 
you know, everything. I have narrowed it down to pretty much nothing. I have dogs in the yard, a couple of possums that come up to the house, raccoons, stuff like that. You know, nothing major. <laughs> but she told me that I told her about skinwalkers, which quite possibly I did, as we're both into cryptozoology and paranormal and all. But I never described what they would sound like, what they would do, what they looked like, because I've never met one. I, I don't really know. But she swears up and down to Skinwalker, and she will not sleep in her room now. Uh, if anyone has any idea what it may be, I would be glad to hear it. Anyway, I appreciate what you do. Thanks for the platform to share everything. Keep up the good work. Later. Thanks, Steve. Now, we've covered strange screams on several occasions on this show in the past years. And oftentimes, we've attributed those sounds to local wildlife. Bobcat, fox, coyote, especially when in heat. These critters can make a god-awful sound. Sounds that I assume some could associate with the infamous skinwalker. But the thing about the skinwalker here is this. If that somehow was what Steve and his daughter heard... How did it get all the way to Alabama? Because I look at the Skinwalker legend the same way I look at Champagne. It's not real Champagne, unless it comes from the Champagne region of France. Otherwise, we're simply talking sparkling wine. Well, in my humble opinion, it's not a Skinwalker, unless it's found on or near the Navajo Reservation, near the Four Corners area in the United States Southwest. Anything else is just sparkling skinwalker. From what I understand about the legend, it originates from that region. And as far as I understand it, a Navajo medicine man would be the only person with the ability to complete this sort of transformation. So in short, if it were a skinwalker in Alabama, how in the hell did it get there? And better yet, why was it there in the first place? And my final suggestion here, Steve, is for you to jump on YouTube and search for Fox, Bobcat, and Coyote Calls. Listen to as much as you can and see if any of that rings a bell for you. Because that's certainly my first suspicion. Regardless, I hope your daughter is over the fright. And for your sake, whatever it was, I hope that you don't have to hear it again. Thanks again, Steve, for sharing your entry. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to slide one more story in before we dip off to our break. So, Julia from Massachusetts, come on in and tell us what you saw. Hi, Derek. My name is Julia. I'm calling from Massachusetts, but this story actually takes place in the Bay Area of California. This was back in 2011, December of 2011. I was in a town outside of San Francisco called El Cerrito, and my boyfriend and I at the time we're going for a walk up in the hills perfectly clear out it's like sunset time probably around 6 or 7 p.m that time of year and you know we're up in the hills over the bay so we can look out and see the horizon see the sun setting the town below, below us and everything and i looked out and i saw two lights right next to each other in the sky both pretty bright but like a yellow white kind of color and i thought that they were the light at the end of each plane wing because you know you have the san francisco airport coming in there and 
for some reason, out loud, I just said, oh, wouldn't it be weird if a third light just popped up right up on top of that one and made a triangle? And right when I said that, right above the two lights, a third one appeared out of nowhere. I could see the sky behind it. You know, it's not like it was dark. It's not like I, I couldn't see the shape of something up there. It's just the lights themselves and nothing around them. And now there were three. And the one on top was the brightest. And that really freaked me out. But it happened right after I said that because it felt like it heard me <laughs> or something. So that really got our attention. We started watching it for a while. At that point, I was really happy that another person was seeing it with me. And before long, I'd say within the first minute, the whole shape kind of started to rotate in the sky, holding the same space, but it was just spinning around in the sky, keeping a perfect equilateral sort of shape, equilateral triangle, just rotating. And the top one that appeared last was always the brightest. It was really weird. I could see straight through the middle. You could see the sky behind it. So it's not like it was a solid craft of any kind. And it was completely silent. I would say it was maybe 500 feet out from us and, you know, maybe 700 feet up. It was pretty far up, further up than I would expect it to be droned. You couldn't hear anything, couldn't see what they were, didn't know what was going on. And before I had too much time to think about it, lights started just flickering off the side of it. So like the corner would just shoot across the sky and then disappear. And the way I always explain it is that it would be, if you blinked, you'd miss it. And that really freaked us out, had no idea what we were seeing. And then they would start reappearing right where they had disappeared from to create the triangle again, just like and fall right back into place while this shape was still spinning in the sky. Definitely the weirdest thing I've ever seen. We watched it for about 40 minutes. And then, you know, I, I always see people who tell these stories and I think, oh, if that were me, I would never leave that. I'd watch that until it disappeared, if it disappeared. But for some reason in that situation, I did decide, okay, well, let's go on our way and we'll just watch it as we walk. No one else was around us or I would have asked them, do you see this? You know, and now I have dreams where I, I see it again in my dreams and I'm like asking people, do you see that? Because I think it's something I wish I had done. So we watched it as we walked down the hill. It was doing the same thing, just super fast. These, these, these lights just flying across the sky and then reappearing right where they left from. It was completely unexplainable. But we ended up going to a restaurant and getting dinner real quick, only in there for about 20 minutes, and we lost sight of it as we got down there. And then when we came back out of the restaurant, the three lights were right above the parking lot, directly above us, like very low down now. I'd say maybe only like 300 feet up from us. It was super close. And then when we walked out, they were completely still, and then they started rotating again. And I think at that point, I was starting to get a little freaked out. And so I was like, hey, let's maybe just go. You know, we had to go to the grocery store after that. So I was like, let's just walk over there. I, I don't know if I want to stay and watch this anymore. And, you know, when we came back out, it was gone. Um, and I really wish I had stayed and watched it for longer now because the curiosity has gotten the best of me when the fear had gotten the best of me then. But to this day, I think about it all the time. I have a tattoo from it. It's something I never want to forget. I bring it up to people now when they say that they've seen something creepy in the sky, something they couldn't explain. And it turns out a lot more people than I would have guessed have triangle shaped crafts or lights in the sky stories. It's really weird to see. And now I don't know if it's just me getting in my own head about it, but since having seen that, um, probably because I did more research and got a little more freaked out about, you know, uh, aliens and things like that, I have a lot of 
alien dreams or abduction dreams, things where I'm in a spaceship, things where I see a spaceship. And that's where the call cuts off. But I think we get the gist. Thanks, Julia. You know the funny thing about this case? My assistant, Delaney, and I searched for a considerable amount of time, hoping to find another Bay Area sighting to compare this one to. Similar to what we did with the North Carolina sighting at the top of the show. But would you believe that there have hardly been any UFO sightings in the San Francisco area? Aside from Julia's, of course, and an obscure sighting we found in the late 1940s. Outside of that, we came up completely dry, which is unheard of for a populated area such as that. So make of that what you will. Maybe it's simply a coincidence. Maybe people around those parts don't like to talk about that sort of thing. Or perhaps it's just too damn foggy to see anything unusual. But either way, it's a detail that certainly caught my attention. And something I'll be looking for going forward. So thank you, Julia, for bringing all that to our attention. Now with summer just around the corner, we're getting excited for more days by the lake. Cookouts with friends and camping trips. Whether we're having people over for a night around the fire pit or having weekend visitors to our cabin. We always have a great wine on hand to share with everyone. Thanks to tonight's sponsor, First Leaf. Now First Leaf is America's most personalized wine company that takes the guesswork out of wine selection. Now if you're anything like me and generally pick your wine by the design on the bottle, don't you worry. First Leaf will make things easy. Just answer a few questions about your likes and dislikes, and their experts curate a selection of award-winning wine just for you. Now you're in control of how often you receive new wine, and every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. And because First Leaf cuts out the middleman, you get quality wine at prices much lower than you'd pay at the store. Now Sarah and I have loved everything we've received so far, and those were wines that we never otherwise would have known to try. Now I love sharing great wine with my friends and family, and I know you will too. So give First Leaf a try. Head on over to firstleaf.com forward slash MAU to sign up to save 50% off your first six bottles, plus free shipping. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com forward slash M-A-U to save 50% off your first six bottles plus free shipping. Try firstleaf.com forward slash M-A-U. Now supporting our sponsor supports the show. So thanks for listening. And back to that thing hovering over the barn. Now then, if you're a longtime listener to the program, this next entry might ring a couple bells. If you're new to the show, it'll probably just freak you out. Here's Sheldon's entry out of the state of Texas. Hey, my name's Sheldon Pack, and I'm out of Fort Worth, Texas. I work in the repossession industry. I'm a camera car driver, and what we do is we drive around and we scan license plates using cameras on our cars. And if something's up for repossession, uh, we let our tow truck driver know, and they come and pick it up. I was in South Fort Worth one night. I don't recall the street. 
was around three o'clock in the morning. I've been on the job for about six months now. In fact, I'm on the job right now as I'm leaving this recording. But I'm driving along, and out of the corner of my eye, I see what looks like somebody running towards me, but it's not a person. It's this shadow. And it had, like, this aura around it. And the aura was, like, many different colors it was had blues and purples and greens and orange and yellow at the very top of it but it was a really thin band of aura you know i'm not one to believe in the paranormal i've seen some scary things i've had a couple experiences in the past that i'll call back later about but it looked like this thing had just full sprint come at me out of the right side of my car and when I turned to look and see what it was, it just vanished. And I was hit with this feeling of dread. And I just felt this sensation of like deep terror for a moment out of nowhere. And I'm not one to get easily spooked either. I love haunted houses. I love Halloween. I love all of that stuff. But this just sent chills down my spine. And I still haven't seen anything else like it to this day. But I'll call back with more stories at a later time. Thank you for listening. Y'all have a good night. Stay spooky. Thanks, Sheldon. Now this call likely sounds familiar to you because it probably is. This is the fourth time I've received a call about someone driving down a lonely stretch of highway only to realize a naked man is running alongside them at highway speeds. Well, in this case, it would be a horror man. Now, for those of you that haven't heard those previous calls, or for those that have already forgotten the details, here's a little mashup of all three of the prior entries. There's no traffic out there. I'm in the middle of nowhere in the country. Four-lane highway. I have my window down. I'm driving in my bucket truck, and I saw something in the corner of my eye on the driver's side. So I look out my window and there is a man beside me without a shirt on, completely hairless. All I can see is from the waist up, no shirt on, completely bald, no facial hair, white male. I would say late 40s, mid to late 40s, trucking along beside me. He's not running, his arms aren't in motion, but he's right there beside me. So I look ahead, I'm like, what did I just see? Okay, this is crazy. So I glance back, and when I glance back, he slowly turns in like the most fluid motion and looks directly at me eye to eye. And my heart starts racing, and it scares the crap out of me. So, you know, I look forward. I start trying to roll up my window. I'm doing 60 miles an hour around the road, and I see him. Boom. He looks away from me, looks dead ahead, and disappears into the darkness. He outran me, and I'm doing 60 miles an hour in a bucket truck going down the road. He disappeared into the darkness. It was late at night. I was returning home, driving down US 70 to Safford. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. I was fairly tired. I was only 17 years old, and I was driving along, and it started to slow down because I was getting sleepy. I just passed through the town of Peridot, 
I don't know, I probably slowed down to about 40, 45 miles an hour. As I was driving along, I heard a tapping on the side window of my truck. Not thinking about it, I was concentrating on the road. It tapped again and then a bang. And I looked over and there seemed to be a person running next to me on the road. So it kind of freaked me out. I dropped her down the third gear and took off. Got down the road a few more miles. Kind of woke up by now. And as I went through the small town of Bylas, got past there, started getting sleepy again. So I began slowing down. And again, there was a tapping on my window and then a bang. Looked over and it was the same figure running next to me. It was a tall, pale man with red stripes painted on his body. He was keeping pace with me, like I said, at about 40, 45 miles an hour. So I, again, switched gears and took off. Getting late, maybe uh, 2 o'clock in the morning or so, approaching I-10 on the on-ramp, and I see out of the corner of my eye in the rearview mirror, somebody running toward me from the woods. Looks like a person going 60 miles an hour, so they uh, come up next to my van, jogging next to me for 10, 15 seconds. Can't make out a face. This gray, shadowy figure. I don't, I don't know what it was. Now, if you'd like to hear these stories in full, or you just want to catch my commentary on the subject, that was Jake from Season 13, Episode 5. Alan from Season 4, Episode 15, and Jason from Season 7, Episode 3, respectfully. And those stories took place in L.A., Arizona, and Arkansas, respectfully. And I'm not sure if you caught this detail like I did, but Sheldon's story took place in Texas. All four are southern states. So I'm not sure if that's a coincidence or if there's a greater meaning there but it's a statistic that I just can't help but notice. Otherwise, I'm at a loss here. And until new evidence rolls in, I'm afraid we're stuck in the dark. But a huge thanks, Sheldon, for adding to that ongoing mystery. And of course, if you out there listening know something here that we don't, please let us know. And no, I'm not thinking Skinwalker for this case. And if you're wondering why, you can go back and listen to Steve's entry from just a few minutes ago. Okay, maybe Alan's call might be Skimwalker-related, since it took place in Arizona. But the rest really don't fit the location. And I can't help but feel that there's something more to all this. I just don't know what it is, yet. Either way, thanks again, Sheldon. We appreciate it. And moving on to tonight's closer. And I think this one just might have you up late listening to Dead Air. At least it did for me. Please allow me to introduce Franny from the state of New York. Hey Derek, my name is Franny. I'm in Albany, New York. And I want to tell you a story about something that happened about 32 years ago when my brother and I were traveling in China. He got an amazing deal, two weeks in China for like $500. It was incredible. And he and I took off and had the time of our lives until we hit Shanghai. Shanghai is an international city. It's been occupied by so, so many other countries 
over so, so many years. And he and I were staying in this kind of crappy hotel, thin walls. It looked like it had been refurbished in a million years. Anyway, I woke up at about three in the morning and I heard music and it was loud music, but it wasn't like usual music. It was like that tinny music from the 20s, (laughs) like music like that. It was really bizarre, like trumpets and trombones and really like flapper error stuff. And I woke my brother up and he heard it too. And it creeped me out. There were no phones in the room. This is how wonderful this hotel was. And we just somehow managed to go back to sleep, even though this music was really, really loud. So the next morning, when we were thankfully checking out, I'm talking to the guy at the front desk, and I said, what kind of party did you have here last night? It was going on till all hours. I mean, it woke me up in the middle of the night. And he looked at me with his mouth open, and he said, there was no party here last night. What are you talking about? And I said, there was a party. There must have been a party in your ballroom. I I heard it at three in the morning. Absolutely not. We don't do any catering anymore. Well, needless to say, my brother and I were really, really happy that we were checking out. Had the time of our lives in China, even though it was so long ago and it had just opened. Anyway, Derek, you are the bomb. I am an artist and I listen to you while I'm working and it's like the greatest thing ever. So be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Franny, for calling in. Now, this might be our first story that takes place over in China, which is pretty exciting. As is the phenomena described in Franny's entry. The sounds of a ghost party. Believe it or not, this is a phenomena that's not only common, but well-known within investigation circles. I won't name them, mostly because I can't remember them but there have been several instances of this sort of thing being captured on reality paranormal television. I want to say that the ghost hunters captured something similar to this in one of their trips to the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, the hotel that The Shining was based on. But trust me when I say that there are others. And if you don't trust me, that's completely fine. I brought some examples to you instead. The following EVPs were captured on separate investigations that were conducted all over North America. And as far as I can tell, these recordings are all genuine. Now I'll play the original, unaltered version first, then repeat the recording after I cleaned it up a bit. Mostly just noise reduction and amplification for those that are curious. Now this first one was recorded by someone that was filming out their window during a late November rainstorm. They claimed that the music could not be heard when the recording was actually in progress. So take a listen.
Now this one was recorded at the Greenhouse in Needles, California, a well-known haunted location in that eastern California town. At first, it sounds like there is nothing but silence in between the investigator's questions. But when I enhance the audio, you can clearly hear something similar to what Franny had just described. Can you tell us what your name is? What type of work did you do down here? Can you tell us what your name is? What type of work did you do down here? Now this one was captured by an investigating group at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum back in West Virginia. Like all the others, the folks that recorded this did not hear any of the music playing when they were investigating. And finally, this last one was caught during a solo EVP session in the infamously haunted Burger Gasglow Fortner House in Welland, Ontario, Canada. Now remember, it was completely silent when this recording was made. At least according to the original poster. Now, links to each of these recordings can be found in tonight's show notes, and they are courtesy of EVP Investigations, Route 66 Paranormal Investigators, Atham 102, and Paranormal Seekers of Ontario, Canada on YouTube, respectfully. And it's certainly spooky stuff, especially if you find yourself in an empty building trying to catch a little shut-eye. So thank you again, Franny, for calling into the hotline which that number by the way is 1-888-608-NIGHT now I continue to be Derek Hayes and this was Monsters Among Us podcast so thank you so much for stopping by Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me Derek Hayes additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers All media used in this production was done so under the protection of fair use. And if you have a social media account, consider following us on Instagram or Facebook or or maybe even TikTok. And while you're online, please consider leaving us a rate and review wherever that sort of thing might be possible. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks a ton for tuning in.
I'll catch you all back here in one week's time. Until then, have a great night. And keep yourself spooky. Now tonight's secret entry takes us back to the state of Texas, where this time, Jamie has a story to share. My name is Jamie from Texas, and the story is whenever I was about six or seven years old in my family's home, I would just come out of the shower and was wrapped up in a towel, and I guess my towel was, you know, kind of falling off. Anyway, I hear my family say, we're about to see something. And so I turn around and look at my parents' bedroom and Medusa pops out from the, the bedroom or a lady with snake as, as hair pops out from their bedroom and I take off running. And that was the only time that happened. But as an adult, one of my next door neighbors who grew up right next door to me, anyway, I told him about this story about me seeing Medusa and he got chills and was freaking out because he also, as a child, saw the same thing in his house. Thanks, Jamie. Medusa. That's a new one. Well, not brand new. Because Jamie's neighbor seemed to have seen it as well. But could this have been some sort of prank played by an older individual in a Halloween mask? Or is there something mythological roaming this particular stretch of Texas? I'll let you know, Jamie, if we hear from anyone else with this experience. Until then, however, thanks again for calling in. Now, folks, is the time that we make that jump into hyperspace. The only travel method that can safely deliver us beyond Well, that and Patreon.com. The $1 level over there gives you ad-free content. The $5 level gets you access to the rest of this episode and several days' worth of additional content, all for the price of an overpriced cup of coffee. Hit up our website at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and use the Patreon tab for a direct link. That sort of support allows us to continue to grow and produce content on a regular basis. So thank you for sustaining us. Now speaking of that Beyond episode. Greetings Monster Squad. Do I have a chunk of bonus content lined up for you this evening? An after show full of curses, government interference, and downright madmen. So to kick us off we begin here in California. Where Jesse is in storyteller mode. I 
Derek. My name is Jesse. I'm a big fan. Thank you for what you do. My story is sort of in the third person because the strange part actually happened to my dad. This happened in the late 90s, I want to say 1998 or 1999 in Whittier, California. Sounds like a goosebump book or something, but I promise it was real life. So my dad used to polish brass knickknacks. He would go to garage sales and find weird little things and polish them. I guess you could say it was a hobby of his. One day he went to a garage sale and found a weird candle holder with three naked devils. I remember this item vividly. It was very obscene, but that is as far as I can go into detail without being rated R. So anyways, this candle holder caught his eye. He bought it and left the garage sale. He got into his truck, drove to the end of the street to make a U-turn to go the other direction. When he got to where he would pass the garage sale, the garage sale had disappeared. Now, I believe the story because he didn't actually tell me the story himself. It came from my mom years later, and she isn't someone that would tell me a tall tale. Anyways, he brings his candle holder home and polishes it and becomes a conversation piece at our house. My grandma told my parents to get rid of it, that it felt cursed. We aren't superstitious people, so my mom and dad were like, whatever, and kept it. Now, I don't know if it really was cursed, but all I can say is a series of traumatic things happened to my family for a few years after we acquired this item. For example, we lost our home and had to move in with family. I got expelled from school. And probably the most traumatic one would be that my dad died in 2003 from cancer. It was really sudden. He passed only one month after being diagnosed. Kind of sad. So my mom did end up getting rid of the devil candle holder my dad got from the vanishing garage shell. But I just thought it was an interesting coincidence, the trail of negative events my family experienced after this purchase. I tried to Google the devil candle holder to see if I could find something similar, but I was unable to come up with anything. Thank you for letting me tell my story. Maybe someone else has experienced something similar. Keep up the awesome work you do on the show and thanks again. Thank you, Jesse. Now, you know, I've visited my fair share of yard sales over the years. So I wonder how many items I might have that could be cursed. Now, generally, I have extremely bad luck, so I probably wouldn't even notice. Then again, if the results of the curse were as dire as Jesse's were, then I imagine it'd be difficult for me not to catch on. But I, too, am curious about this candle holder. Hopefully someone out there listening knows exactly what's being discussed here. Maybe they can even provide a photograph. Until then, I suppose we will just wait patiently. And thanks again, Jesse, for sharing the mystery. Welcome to the After Show, folks. It's a downright pleasure to have you here with us this evening. I have a lot to get through, so I'm going to get right back into the action. Beginning with Alex, out of Ohio, and her string of numerous encounters. Hi, yeah, my name's Alex. I'm from Ohio, I'm kind of towards the center from a small town called Lockington. And it's kind of a cool town. It's where they used to have the lock for the canal boats to come through. And it's kind of a creepy town. And it's where one of my stories takes place. 
But first, I want to tell you one that's not my story. It's actually my grandma. She passed away in 2009. So that's when she told me this story was probably 2008, maybe 2007. It would have been in seventh grade. And she told me this story of this house that she used to live in when she was a little girl, when she was like 15 years old. And she had this neighbor lady named Sam.